Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute uh, Pandemic Weekend Grocery Run Edition, as usual. And uh, so I hope everybody's doing okay who's listening to this. And I'm we're talking about logical relations, and I'm not... <laughs> goodness, there's a... It's a, been a kind of an interesting subject to be studying a little more uh, now than I have in the past. And I, it's a, I think it's a kind of a tough nut. And I'm trying to steer away from stuff that you can already kind of find discussed online. For example, um, I can warmly recommend some lecture notes of Professor Amal Ahmed from Northeastern, who has some very fine lecture notes about logical relations, um, kind of as they're used in computer science for uh, various applications. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of deliberately trying not to just recapitulate what is said there. I'm, I'm a little more interested in sort of the logical foundations uh, of these things. And so I'm taking a little bit of a different focus in what I'm ta- talking about. That being said, I personally find that if I try to look at the seminal works of what many people are citing as seminal works by people like uh, Statman and um, there's some a paper of Plotkins. These are papers from the 70s and 80s. And they are some seriously difficult papers to get into. Um, it's probably beyond my technical expertise at this point to wade through those. So, hee hee. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so logical relations and the, the dream, the, the reason I've been interested is, um, well, they are this sort of pretty general semantic idea and they, I, I'm finding applications for them in Sedil, in the plan new Sedil 2. Uh, which I talked about on a YouTube video on the Sedil channel, YouTube channel, not not too long ago. So, uh, but also there's this sort of interesting thing about, about being able to deal with uh, higher order, um, things at higher order, you know. So, uh, as we talked about, you know, sort of notions of homomorphism and stuff like that uh, don't seem to scale very well to a higher order setting. Um, and in computer science, we're definitely interested in, in higher order functions. And we're also interested in higher order data types. And so that's, and I've personally, partly just by my own, you know, develop history of getting into the field, have always been interested in higher order data types because, well, I mean, I first learned about type theory through the Edinburgh Logical Framework, which is a peculiar place to start type theory. But that was kind of the way that, um, that was in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this big interest in proof-carrying code because of some pretty amazing work that was done at Carnegie Mellon and uh, by Nekula and Lee. and uh, um, So... Uh, and that was based on LF, and LF uh, is it's basically its main selling point is that it's a framework for higher, higher order data types. In fact, that's pretty much all you can do with it is describe higher order data types. <laughs> so, um, but that is pretty cool. So, for use as a proof format and stuff like this, it's pretty nice because you might like to describe proofs and some logic as uh, 
a higher order data. The higher order part comes in because if you have proofs that have some notion of assumption, like say assume this is true and then prove something else, that naturally gets encoded as a function. And in a sense, this is kind of a variant of the Curry-Howard isomorphism to just say, oh, if I want to represent an inference that, you know, that says I assumed A and then I concluded B, well, we're basically going to write that as a little function that takes in a proof of A and gives you back a proof of B. And so encoding that, representing that proof as a piece of data, you know, as you would in a compiler to represent, you know, a syntax tree for a program or something, well, now you, you basically want to have a higher order syntax tree that can, um, that lets you use the binding of the, the meta language, LF, or, or a programming language for that matter. You can do these things in, in Haskell or OCaml or something like that. Uh, you're trying to represent the binder of an object language, in this case, uh, you know, for making an assumption and a proof, with the binder of the meta language, which is basically a lambda abstraction or a function in introducing a function. So anyhow, that's how I kind of learned about types. Again, sort of a peculiar way to start because there's, I mean, it's a great, it's a great system and all, but um, I think, I, I, well, it's not a, uh, um, there's a lot of other work in type theory that has a lot more sort of foundational significance than LF. Uh, so anyway, um, but that being said, so higher order data types, but really <clears throat> this would be extremely useful in a theorem prover to have higher order data types because um, one of the nastiest things, like if you're using a theorem prover, as many have in the past um, you know, 15, 20 years, for reasoning about programming language semantics, like say you're trying, you design some new programming language and you want a, a, like a new type system or a new, um, you know, uh, so, you know, for example, say you're studying Scala as some people have been doing and, and you propose formal systems that pretty much abstract the, the essential interesting characteristics of Scala, which has some pretty unique typing features. And you want to study and prove that your typing system is working the way you expect. Well, <clears throat> it's really, really a nuisance, and I'd speak from personal experience, to have to deal with um, representing variables yourself. There's been a ton of work about this. Uh, there's so much work that at some point I was pretty much dead sick of hearing about more of it. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, but how do I encode, you know, something like the abstract syntax of lambda terms? Or the abstract syntax of first-order logic formulas, or really anything that's got a binding structure to it. And there was a lot of um, emphasis placed on this in, I don't know, from sort of the 2000s to 2010s. And, uh, and you know, because if, you, if, you, if you're forced to have some concrete representation where you say, I'm going to have a data type of lambda terms where variables are strings or variables are some other, you know, they're numbers or something, some concrete encoding that tells you what a variable is. Um, you enter this painful world where you have to formalize these tricky notions like capture running substitution and alpha equivalence or, or renaming of variables. And it, it really does become a nightmare. Um, and from a programming perspective, if you're just writing a compiler, it's a nightmare because it's really easy to make mistakes in that area. Again, I speak from personal experience, being abundantly aware of just how how reportedly difficult it is to get this stuff right. I've made many mistakes in my own implementations dealing with bound variables. It's it's just obnoxious. 
Uh, and then from a theory proving perspective, well, you don't have to worry about mistakes so much because you're going to prove all these theorems. But, yep, that's the problem. You're going to prove a lot of theorems. <laughs> you're going to prove all kinds of tedious, annoying theorems about substitutions, renamings, all this kind of stuff. So the promise of higher-order encodings is that you wouldn't have to do that because that's all that work is sort of shifted to the meta-language. So that sounds exciting, and that definitely motivated a lot of people to try to study ways of providing higher-order encodings. Again, there's really um, quite a mountain of work on this sort of stuff, um, none of which, personally, I find has reached a level of it's completely satisfactory um, characteristic. So anyway, logical relations do purport to deal with higher-order data types. You just have the signature. You've got these list of symbols. They have some simple types, including possibly higher order types. And now we have this theory for um, uh, relating algebraic structures over these, uh, over such signatures. Now, <clears throat> but here's the little tricky thing I wanted to share today. And this was a longer preamble to sharing this that I meant to give you. But um, if you have, you know, one of the most basic algebraic structures you hope to have for a signature is the term model. Okay, take a first order signature, that is a signature where the symbols just have, um, don't have higher order types. You know, they might have, like take the signature for groups. Okay, so you have this binary operation, you have a, that's the multiplication of the group, you have a unary operation, that's the negation or the inverse operation of the group, and you have um, just a constant symbol, which is the unit element of the group. Uh, so you could speak about the term model. Right? So you have groups. A group is a model of these things. Um, but you can speak about the term model. Now here, again, it, actually it's, for that particular example, it's handy that I'm, I'm talking about, um, <laughs> I'm talking about groups as not, not really mathematical groups, which is embarrassing because they don't, um, we're, we're not necessarily, we don't, in this setup, we haven't really seen or talked about ways to, to say that the structure satisfies some laws. I mean, we can basically just say it satisfies some laws, but let's just focus on the signature for a, for a moment. And so then we can form a term model where we interpret the multiplication symbol as an operation that builds you a multiplication syntax tree. Okay? So it's not exactly that we're interpreting the symbol as itself, okay? And that's a little subtle point. I remember being very amused by this in grad school. We're not actually interpreting the symbol as itself because we're supposed to, when we have a symbol like that takes in, that's of arity to symbol, that means it's supposed to be an operation, where semantically we're supposed to interpret it as an operation that takes in two things, right? A symbol doesn't take in anything. It's just this little point, right? So to interpret a symbol, um, in a term model, we're interpreting the symbol as a term building function. So we're, you're interpreting the times oper times symbol, multiplication symbol of the group as this little function that takes in two term, two group terms and produces the syntax tree that has a multiplication label node and then those two group terms underneath it. So it's a, it's, you interpret the symbols as functions which build syntax trees labeled by those symbols, okay? And so so here's a little puzzle I want to throw out. So it's like, okay, so, hey, logical relations is pretty cool. We, we seem to have some facilities for dealing with higher-order data and higher-order signatures. What about 
So does it shed any light on higher order term models? Because, I mean, in a sense, the term model is just telling us what are sort of the syntax trees for these things. And um, I'd sort of like to know um, how to form syntax trees over a higher order signature. Because if I'm writing a compiler, I definitely need the ability to do that. Um, well, bad news, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they don't really shed any light on that. Because imagine a higher order signature, like one for lambda terms. Okay, you've got a lamb constructor that takes a term to term whose simple type is term arrow term, arrow term, and you've got an app constructor. It takes term to term to term. Okay, so what's the term model supposed to be? Um, actually, it's completely unclear what the term model should be because your interpretation of the lamb symbol needs to be something that takes in any term to term function in whatever your ambient metal language is. So what the functions are in a particular metal language is a very important and deep point. You know, what kind of functions are there? I don't know. It, it depends on my theory quite a bit, my meta theory, my meta language. But anyway, this my interpretation of LAM is supposed to take some potentially totally crazy term-to-term -term function and produce a term. What term should it produce? What can I, How would it canonically take a term-to-term -term function? You say, because all I can really do with my term-to-term -term function is call it with a term. What term do you want to call it with? It's totally unclear. Um, and so uh, the promise of logical relations for higher order signatures is a little bit, I would say, unmet because it doesn't really tell you how to make a term model for a higher order signature. And I have some research I did uh, a year or so ago that actually attempts to give an answer to this and actually does give some kind of answer to this, not in general for an arbitrary signature, but just in one special case. And I would like to tell you a little bit about that in uh, a subsequent episode because this was this was an accomplishment that I'm sure almost no one is aware of, but for me it was it took an enormous amount of time and effort. And it was very difficult, and I have something that um, actually does solve this problem. So anyway, I'll tell you about that in a subsequent episode. And I thank you very much for listening and hope you're safe and well wherever you are.